Hi, I'm Lanny. On this podcast, I'll dive deep into all things home. Steading, cooking, schooling, making, food preservation, and scratch-made everything. Our homes used to be more than just a place to sleep and charge our smartphones. The home was the heart of our families, a place where we could birth our babies, school our children, grow, raise, cook, and preserve our own food, host weddings in the pasture, and funerals in our parlor. Do you want to take back your autonomy and breathe new life into your home? Let's learn together. With intention, we can rely more on ourselves and less on the systems that don't serve us. This is the Greener Postures Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Greener Postures Podcast. And today, I'm going to give you a little update on my homestead and what's been going on around here because we are already in a new month. It's August 2nd as I record this. I'll put, be putting it out uh, the following Monday and just wanted to kind of fill you in where I've been at and what we've been working on. Just a reminder for everybody who missed the workshops this summer online live, you can still purchase the replay, just $40, greenerpostures.com slash workshops. Gives you a list of all the ones I've ever done. You'll get the two-hour video playback. You'll also get a PDF booklet, all of which are about 20 to 30 pages, each of those books, with recipes, tips, tricks, lots of information that I've written myself, and access to the Greener Postures community group chat. You can also get into the group chat by being a member of Greener Postures. There are tiers that start as low as $3 a month. So if you like what I'm putting out here and you want to be a part of it, you could support me by donating a couple dollars a month and get into this group chat with other people who are doing similar things to what I'm talking about um, so we can support each other on our learning journeys. So thanks guys for listening and hopefully you enjoyed my last four episodes all about fermented beverages. The workshop I did last week was also on fermented beverages and I was joined by the great Monica Perez, the Propaganda Report podcast, as well as her new uh, endeavor, Deep Dives with Monica Perez. It was great to have her there and she brought along some of her weirdo friends, which were also excellent. And they really had some cool perspectives and great questions. Uh, did, however, lead me down weird rabbit holes. So I was not as concise as I normally am in those workshops. I think I left a lot to be said, but hopefully they gain a lot from the workshop. They can also check out the last four episodes of the podcast to learn more. And I'm planning some YouTube videos on uh, fermented beverages as well. I already have a Preserving Today YouTube video on how I do kombucha, but I'm planning on doing one on kvass and maybe even more a ginger beer as well. For the last month, we've just been um, chugging along. There's so much to do this time of year. Um, there's basically been just like crops of food that have been coming, you know, ripe all at the same time. So for instance, we've been working through our raspberries and they come up and I try to get them inside and I freeze them on a tray uh, to put them in a bag to save for later, either for just eating or for using for a recipe once I have enough. And so I've been doing that with those um, strawberries came and went pretty quickly and were not very prolific this year, which was disappointing, but okay. I'm pretty sure I talked about it on the last up update episode where my two-year-old was eating them before they were ripe. And when they did come ripe, our strawberry bramble now, it's like too dense. 
So the strawberry bushes are too dense from the growth they've had over the last two years and not been thinned out. And I think it just made it so that the environment was too moist and humid for those berries to be good. They got moldy really fast. Um, the cherries on our cherry tree also came and went very quickly. Unfortunately, it was so quick that I didn't have a chance to do anything except eat a few handfuls of the sweet cherries that we have on this gigantic tree. Um, the birds and the squirrels got most of them. The chickens got the leftovers of what was shaken out of the tree onto the ground. So at least we were eating eggs that were enjoying the cherries. But our, our sour cherry tree, I did pick. I picked that clean twice. So we got a lot of sour cherries. I pitted them all and I froze them. So either I'm going to do some kind of a cherry and something else jam, or I'm going to do more cherry pie filling. And the cherry pie filling is good. It's a lot of effort. Pitting cherries is a lot of effort. It takes a long time. So to make cherry pie filling ahead all in one batch, then you have like, you know, six jars of uh, cher six cherry pies throughout the year that you can just make on the fly that are homegrown and homemade. And I like the idea of that because I'm not going to buy cherries at the store and pit them and like, and then make a single pie off of that. But I will pit my cherries and freeze them. And then eventually I will can the thing. And then eventually I will take a jar and make a pie or a crumble or a cobbler. And I think um, it's one of Chud's favorites is the cherry. So that's probably what I'm going to do with them again. But we'll we'll see. I'm just going to wait because now that I have them in the freezer, I, there's no rush. So I don't think I'm going to actually do anything with those until the weather starts to cool down and canning seems like a good idea. And there's certain things that I can in season, even though it's hot. And those are things that have to get in the jars quickly. But because I have the freezer space right now, I'm not really worried about those cherries. So um, I think it was a total of only like nine pounds of cherries. So I might need some extra to do a good batch. Usually I go for like 14, 12 to 14 pounds of cherries to do a seven quart canner load. Um, so we will have to either adjust the amount that I do or get some other fruit to mix with it. Any, anybody has any ideas of what would go good with sour cherry? Ooh, maybe pears. We have a lot of pears, so it'd be great to find more ways to use them. And I kind of don't think you can go wrong with that. They're just going to add sweetness and it'll be like a cherry apple pie, except cherry pears. Yep. Yeah, okay. I, no, I never mind. I answered my own question as I usually do when I think about things. So let's see on the, probably like the seventh uh, or the 10th, we had to trim a big giant branch off of our walnut tree. This branch kind of went over near where our driveway is and where we park our cars. And just overnight, this cherry branch grew so much that it was on top of one of our, our little low to the ground Honda Civic. So he actually, Chad actually had to cut his way out to get to work that morning. And then either later that day or the next day, I can't remember, he cut this big giant branch off. And somebody almost simultaneously, a few days before, they had asked... In the um, the Greener Postures community group the chat, I think it was Lucy, had asked me if I've ever used green walnuts to make, I can't remember what it was, pickled green walnuts maybe? And I was like, no, I have not. And then I was like, what are green walnuts? And it was like, her her recipe was black green black walnuts. And black walnut being a variety, uh, our trees are English walnuts, Um also known as Persian walnuts, which is kind of funny. I guess they're from Persia and then England took them over and just decided to call them English walnuts. But uh, 
yeah, who knows? They're uh, the traditional walnuts you see in the Northwest anyway, um, the classic walnuts that you'd use for meat, where black walnuts are a little more wild and they grow more in the South um, than they do here, Appalachia maybe area. I'm not sure. Um, I'd learned a whole hell of a lot more about walnuts because L- Lucy's question sparked this idea in my head that when we had to cut that branch down, I was like, okay, so green walnuts refer to immature walnuts. Walnuts that have not yet had their shell form inside. So if you haven't seen it before, walnuts look, they're like almost like a golf ball sized or a little bigger, almost maybe some of them closer to tennis ball size, but not quite. They are green and a little bumpy and kind of look like almost from far away, you could think they were a lime. Um, They then develop this little thing that looks like the brain in the middle. That's kind of a jelly thing at first, which eventually becomes the meat of the walnut like you would eat. And then the walnut shell forms inside of that green husk. Eventually when the walnuts are ripe, they fall off the tree and you have to somehow remove that green husk and then dry the nuts in their shells out for some period of time before then cracking them open to eat the meat from the inside. It's a very involved process. For us, the squirrels do most of this. So they're like, it's like loud this time of year. They're in, we have two giant walnut trees. They're up there where you can't see them. And all you hear is this, it almost sounds like water running or something. It's like, and it's just them shelling these, like taking the outside off of these things. And all of the chunks of stuff is are dropping onto the ground. So the sound is not only them gnawing on it, but also the sound of all the stuff falling through the tree and onto the ground. And under the walnut trees is just a mess of like bits of shell and, and the whatever green outside part. So I've never really used them. One, we have a walnut allergy in the family. And um, not all of us, just one of us. And... I still use them in things sometimes. If we didn't have the walnut allergy, anytime I made chocolate chip cookies, there would be walnuts in there because that's my favorite. But we don't. We just do plain chocolate chip cookies and we're all surviving still. But uh, with the green walnuts, there was a few recipes. There was a pickled walnut recipe. There was a walnut molasses that I found. There was a walnut liqueur. And all these were using the immature walnuts before the shell forms on the inside. And last year when Monica Perez came to visit on her white pill summer, if you listen to her podcast, she talked about coming to my property. She saw we had walnut trees and she asked me if I'd ever made the preserves with fetal walnuts. And I was like, what are fetal walnuts? And I couldn't, I didn't know what she meant. And I just was making fun of her for calling them fetal. But that's not a bad way to say it. When they're immature, before they're fully grown, when they're still inside of their womb, their little cocoon, um, green walnuts are used for preserves. And I had no idea. So apparently it's really popular in Greece and Armenia and some other places in that general Mediterranean area where they, um, you, you ferment the walnuts for a period of time or soak them in water or salt, which is the same thing as fermenting, right? Uh, then you rinse them and you make a syrup and you cook them in them. And then you, let them sit in the syrup for even longer. So I found, and I'm doing a walnut, green walnut molasses recipe. I've got pickled green walnuts and I have the green walnut preserves, which I wish I had a better name for those, uh, but I don't. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep looking to see if I can find what, what do the Greeks call them? What do the Armenians call them? And I'm going to make up my own, decide what I want to call them. The, the molasses, as they called it, you could call it green walnut honey. Um, is simple. It's just brown sugar 
and you take the green walnuts after rinsing them and you cut them into quarters and you can cut right through them with a, with a knife before the shells have formed. That's really interesting because to like check, you can poke them with a toothpick or something and see if you can get it through. And if you can't, the shell inside is forming. And it's like a matter of days between when these things are all soft enough to cut and when they have that protective shell like fully formed inside of them. So we got in right before that deadline there. We got these green walnuts. Um, I, yeah, quartered them and I put, I layered them in with uh, brown sugar. You leave them in a jar and the liquid from the plant starts to leach out into the sugar. The sugar absorbs it and makes kind of a syrup. You stir it occasionally. It was a little bubbly at first, not very much, not very much like fermentation action. But that stays for 30 to 90 days and just continues to macerate and the goodness from the walnuts come out into the syrup. There's no water added. So this is a syrup that's made with the juices of these walnuts. Now, eventually, after 30 to 90 days, I'm going to dump this into a saucepan and bring it to a boil and then strain the nuts out and save the liquid. And the liquid will be the syrup. I think the syrup has a long shelf life. I kind of would doubt that I need to put it in the refrigerator because I bet it would be pretty acidic. But if I do need to put it in the fridge, whatever, I think in the fridge it would last years. On, on the counter, it would probably last a year and possibly could get maybe a little bit of an alcohol uh, to it if I let it go too long, but I'm not sure. This is all me guessing. I didn't research that part of it, how long it was going to take. Started that. And then I started um, walnut pickles, which first included me poking some holes in these things, leaving them in a jar of saltwater brine for 10 days. And they fermented, they got bubbly. And then I rinsed them really good. And then I had to let them out to sit in the sun or in a sunny spot for 24 to 48 hours. And I was like, that's weird because there's not 24 hours of sun. So it was a weird measurement, but I just left them out until they were completely black. And these things uh, shriveled a little bit and turned completely black. And then I made um, a pickling brine. So it was apple cider vinegar and what is there spices? I think there was spices. I think there was some nutmeg berries and maybe a clove or two and some black peppercorns. That's what it was some vanilla? No, no, no vanilla. And I put these things into jars. I poured the hot brine over and I sealed them in. Was there sugar? Of course there was sugar in this, right? I think there was sugar too. Sugar. I think it's going to be like a sweet apple cider vinegar type pickle. And then I, I basically, I canned these, the no-no canning way where you just pour really, really hot liquid over them and then seal your canning lids on and flip them upside down until they seal. And it's fine because they're so acidic that it doesn't, their botulism is not a concern. So this, the, they sealed and I put them on the shelf and they're supposed to sit in that brine for at least 30 days before you try them, which makes sense to me to let that um, apple cider vinegar solution like penetrate the, through the center of these still whole. Yeah. These are still whole big, you know, golf ball size green walnuts. And then I'll take one out and slice it. And that'll be supposedly good with cheese and crackers, kind of on a charcuterie board situation. And lastly, and probably the one I'm most excited about, I made these preserves that Monica had mentioned and they had me peel the outside of the walnut first, not much, just the outside layer and then poke some holes in them and then soak them for seven to 10 days without salt and drain those off and then put those into sugar and water on the stove and a little bit of vanilla and bring that to a boil and simmer that 
until it becomes a syrup that has a consistency of warm honey. Then those go into the jars. That warm honey type stuff gets poured over the top of them. Again, sealing the jars, flipping them over until they seal. So the no-no way of canning. And uh, putting those on the shelves to sit for at least 30 days. So I have a, 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 a vinegar pickle. I have a molasses. And then I have this syrup. And tasting that syrup before putting everything in the can, like licking the bottom of the pot, was such an interesting flavor. Oh my gosh, it was like... Like Monica said, it was like a Christmas thing, but there's no cinnamon, allspice. There's no Christmas spices. It's just these green walnuts. It's such a unique flavor. It's hard to explain. So today I was like stirring again the molasses. That's the only thing I still have out. Everything else is in jars in the in the pantry to sit for a while. And I feel like, you know, when uh, things are winding down, we'll start tasting that in September, October, at least. Um so this molasses though, I have, I'm still stirring it every couple of days because uh, it still has some sugar kind of that settles to the bottom. That's not very liquidy. So I just stir that all in again and um, I tasted it and it was like really good. And I was like, this would go good in a latte. So I was going to have a little, I don't drink much coffee, but I was going to have a little latte, which is basically just, I'm the way I make my own is just drip coffee with um, some raw milk and a little bit of cream and on ice this time of year. So this time, instead of putting maple syrup, like I do sometimes, I put a tablespoon or so of this molasses, this brown sugar syrup that's made with this green walnut liquid. And it was so good in coffee. Oh my gosh, it was so excited. So I want everyone to know about this. I'll shout it from the rooftops because if you have walnuts and you're overwhelmed by the prospect of actually preserving them as walnuts and shelling them and all of that, trying to make something like this with them before they're mature is a really good way to still get use out of your trees and to have it be a little more straightforward than it might seem to do the whole processing and, and shelling part of it. Um, try this. And I'm excited. Cause like, what if this is the most delicious thing I've ever tasted, I need to make like a whole bunch next year. And I can, because we have two giant walnut trees and that is enough for me to do a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of jars. So if it becomes popular around here, I'm the guy to come talk to because I don't know anyone else making this or selling this in our area. So that's exciting. But I think there's more to talk about than just walnuts, even though that was probably the most exciting because that's an ingredient I have just not worked with at all before. So I didn't know what to expect. And I was just really, you know, going by faith and common sense, like the faith and the recipes that they would be de decent but also like the common sense that I could see why these recipes was worked. Cause I read them and I understand enough about cooking that it made sense to me why they were doing the, what they were doing, but all these were forging um, websites that were talking about black walnuts. And there wasn't anyone really saying anything about English walnuts. And so I was like, I did comment on one guy's blog post and asked, Hey, has anyone ever tried this with English walnuts? And he said, you could do it with English walnuts. And so I'm like, I know I can, but I asked if you ever had, <laughs> but no, I didn't get a straight answer exactly as far as I'm concerned, but I did uh, go with it and uh, try it anyway. So the best way to find out for yourself, what's actually real is doing it. So here we are. Um, after that, I'm, I've just been like continuing in the garden to get whatever is ready to go and like trying to make sure we have a lot of herbs dried for the winter. So I've been collecting raspberry leaves to dry out for tea. Um, I've also um, grown calendula for the first time this year. 
I've been picking those flowers as they come up and drying them, um, trying to dry the plantain leaf that grows in the, in the yard. And, um, we did, so our garlic crop has come a long way too. And I, um, I cut all the garlic scapes off of my plants when they grew. And if you don't know what that is, it's like the flowering part of the garlic plant. And it's recommended that you cut those off because then more of the plant energy will go to producing a strong bulb where they can also reproduce from. And you can use those garlic scapes as you would like chop them up and use them like kind of like green onions, but they have a garlic flavor and a little, mm, not as tender of a texture. They're a little more fibrous. So I, I used uh, some to make a pesto, garlic scape pesto, which is really good. Some basil, a whole bunch of garlic scapes. You don't need to add more garlic to it because it always has that, already has a great garlic flavor. And then I use the rest of the garlic scapes to ferment them, which they turned out really good because there's, like I said, a little fibrous. So fermenting for a longer period of time really broke them down. And I'm actually, I just moved them to the fridge yesterday. So that was, oh boy, over a month or about a month of fermentation on the counter. Um, but then the garlic is done already. I was for some reason expecting the harvest of garlic to come closer to fall, but it was like the signs that you're told to look for again, because this is my first time growing a big batch of garlic. The signs you're told to look for is that the bottom five sets of leaves uh, that come off the plant are turning brown. And mine were that and beyond. I was like, okay, it's time to get these out. And then we had a big rain. I was really busy for the weekend and then we had a big rain. And I was like, oh, that sucks because I wanted to get these out when they're dry. You know, I figure like potatoes, you're going to dry these really well to let them cure before you put them into storage. And you don't want to start out with them being moist if you can help it. It was okay. I did it anyway. And I didn't ask permission from the internet fairies. I just left them out in the sun and rolled them over once for that day to dry first. And then I put them in the cool, dark place on some screens in our garage to continue curing. And they're supposed to cure for like two weeks. I think we're already to a week and a couple of days. So I've got a few more days left to let them, like the stock needs to be completely dry and brown, and then I can trim them and, and store them. And I got these cool organic cotton mesh bags that I can put them in and then hang them. We have this like, I don't know, an armoire. Is that the wrong word? It's like a, a stand-up dresser with two doors that you open. That was for my little kid. Uh, when my, when my oldest kid was a baby, it was his like clothes dresser. And so it's basically a closet. It's got a closet rod and I'm going to hang those things in there. So they still have some airflow, but they're closed in from dust and and bugs and rodents. So we're going to do that in the basement and then I'll save some of the biggest bulbs, um, to plant in the fall. And that'll be last year. I planted November 1st because we had a really hot and dry fall. So it'll be sometime in October, I'm assuming, or as close to, you know, winter, like last year, closer to winter. So yeah, garlic was, it was successful. I haven't eaten any of it yet because they say it's very strong initially. It's mellows out after a little while, but I kind of want to try some now and see. And I'm really excited to make tome or tomb. I changed my mind how I'm going to pronounce that every time, T-O-U-M. Um, that's this garlic spread that I make fresh garlic, lemon juice, salt, and olive oil or avocado oil. Or if you really wanted to, you could use seed oils. Um, but some kind of a neutral oil is better. So I like avocado oil half the time. Uh, it's just a really nice, it's almost like making mayonnaise, but with garlic. And you can see a video of how I do that on my YouTube channel. Greener postures, uh, on YouTube is 
youtube.com slash at greener postures. It's the preserving today channel. And it's how I make garlic tomb T O U M. So I'm going to try some with that. I'm also going to, I want to use some of this really fresh garlic to make a honey garlic. Uh, I feel like it would be extra potent. So I'm going to get some really good local honey and do some cloves in there. You don't need much, you know, like that stuff, a little goes a long way, you know, like a half a clove chewed up if you're sick or a tablespoon of it drizzled into some stir fry sauce. Like it's all, it goes, it goes a long way. I wouldn't make more than maybe um, a half pint of it for a whole year. Uh, we did vend at a local festival this year, which was really exciting. Uh, Rising Moon Festival. Um, it was a three-day event, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And me and my nine-year-old, and then for one of the days, my cousin, uh, we got a commercial popcorn maker, and we we went and made popcorn. So it's something kids love, so it went quickly. Uh, the popcorn maker I got recommends using these pre-made packets that you buy from the same company, surprise. And it has, you know, like a coconut oil blend that's mostly canola oil and some kind of a coloring and salts and some kind of a flavor enhancer and the popcorn. And I'm like, that's not, I didn't get this so that I could make poison popcorn. I got this so that I can make good popcorn uh, in a large scale, right? It was an eight ounce kettle, which means I can use one cup of kernels and one cup of kernels pops up to about 24 uh, cups of popped popcorn. So it's a lot, but not a huge. And you can run a couple batches at the same time. This thing's cool. It looks like a movie theater popcorn popper. It's got a light, a warming light and a warming tray. And um, it's it looks just, it's cool looking. I had to spend a couple days before the festival because it was new to us devising my recipe. And I, I came out with a recipe that used organic coconut oil and organic popping corn, yellow popcorn. And I put uh, powdered sea salt. So if you, if you don't know powdered salt, it's sometimes sold as popcorn salt. But to make it, all you need to do is put salt into a food processor or a spice grinder, and it's going to grind it into a powder. And it sticks better to things like French fries, potato chips, and uh, popcorn. Like if you've ever eaten like McDonald's food and they come those little salt packets that are two little tiny tubes, you know, that you break open. Um, that's like powdered salt. And that's why it like almost hurts your tongue or hurts the corner of your mouth if you put too much on your food. It's so tiny that the surface area is more. It's it's um, it's great for sticking to popcorn though. So I made some powdered salts, and then I decided to add the salt and the turmeric to the kettle and pop the corn in that uh, with the oil, so that it was all comes out seasoned and ready to go. And the popcorn was really good. And I used it if I didn't say yet powdered turmeric because I wanted the popcorn to look like movie theater popcorn, like kids would expect but I'm not with poison. So the turmeric is super yellow. It gave it the color that you wanted to see. The coconut oil was enough butter. Although if you had like butter to put on top of this, it wouldn't be much better. I'm going to be honest, but we didn't have that set up. We didn't have a sink. We didn't have uh, something to keep butter warm. So we just went with it and everybody was so complimentary of how good the popcorn was. You know, we got paper bags that we put our stamp on the greener posture stamp. And it was like, Super fun, uh, good experience for the nine-year-old to practice serving and and counting money and talking to people, customer service. He's a natural. Um, he really enjoys it. So other than some of the time kids uh, were coming behind to help him when I wasn't around, and that could get quickly out of hand. Other kids that haven't been trained on the process think that till is a toy. And like before you know it, there were girls pocketing cash from the till and 
I was like, okay, okay, okay. Scale it back here. You can't have your friends sitting in the driver's seat at the till and you can't, you know, you got to limit the amount of people that can be behind the counter at the same time. It was like 10 kids or something. It was crazy. But those are those experiences that we just live for as homeschoolers where he can see something through himself and do it and participate and, and see how it goes and make mistakes and like fix them. And it was just so much fun. And it wasn't too much of that, you know, he was around for a minute and then he was off playing and running around and they had music and different speakers and, um, DJs at night and dance parties with weird glow stick things. And the kids were going crazy. But it was this really fun vibe this year where everybody was getting along. There wasn't anybody out of hand. Nobody was, there was nobody visibly drinking. Like it was just, it was what you hope for in those kind of things. But I never would think, I don't know. I'm, I'm jaded about festival type things. Somebody who doesn't drink and do drugs. Uh, it's just not fun to be around people whose energy gets out of hand. And as the night goes on, you less and less want to be there. This wasn't the case. We were there till almost midnight, um, both nights, Friday and Saturday night. And like, it was fun. It was fun till the very end. Everybody was awesome. Uh, and then on Sunday at the festival, I didn't do popcorn because I hosted a talk on fermentation and that was really great. I think I had at least 20 people in the room and they were all had interesting questions and like everybody was really like feeling it about my, like, you know, almost my microbial spirituality where I'm just like looking at in awe at these ferments in nature and all the wonder of the things that we don't know and, and just, being able to participate in that's really great. So it was really fun. And we tasted carrots that I had grown the year before that were about 13 months old and they're still crunchy. So we talked about fermentation for food preservation. And we also talked about fermented beverages and we tasted a raspberry lemonade that I made, which is a new recipe that I've added to my book. And that was also the recipe that went out for the membership exclusive this last month. Um, the raspberry lemonade fermented was really good. So it's sparkly and it's tart. It wasn't very sweet. I could probably make it sweeter next time. The raspberry gave it a really beautiful color, um, but it was super fizzy. So it took me almost all in that afternoon to finally get it open without it spilling. And then we, we tasted it late. Uh, we also had a, a June uh, kombucha that was way too sour that we tasted. That was more like vinegar. Um, and I think I brought my garlic scapes. Oh, and I fermented applesauce so everybody could try that. Mostly I do the applesauce cause it's a quick ferment and then we can listen to it. So I started it just the day before in between things, like when I had time and then everybody can hear that bubbly sound in the ferment that I'm always talking about. And that's a good thing. So yeah, that was really a highlight of the month for sure. Um, for fermentation stuff, like our cucumbers are finally, uh, coming. I shouldn't say finally, it's right on time, but every day I go out and I collect as many cucumbers as I can. And I immediately get those in ice water and scrub them and then get them into a crock. So I'm not using a crock actually. I'm using jars for this because I'm getting a small enough batch that I'm not doing a really big, big batch of cucumbers at the time. Uh, so at one time, so I'm doing half gallon or quart size jars, depending on how much I get. And I would use, a, I could use a gallon jar or one of my crocks if I get enough, but right now I'm just taking them as they're pretty small you know, like at least a couple inches, but pretty small, like smaller than gherkins, but like, like the mini little pickles, because then they're really crunchy and delicious. So fermented dills, um, fermented dill cucumbers are probably my favorite of all ferments. 
It's, it's crazy. And they're quick. Like uh, some people say you need to do 30 days and I don't really understand what they're doing because then they're not really crunchy. Um, I, I do them for about eight days, seven or eight days. You can do half sours in, in as little as three or four, but then they're not, they're not really sour throughout. And I like the sour, good sour pickle. So that's been really great. Um, we, I also made a spice blend for a friend who was vending a different fair the same weekend I was doing, and it was really good. She has the Ayurveda clinic and it's called, it's a tridoshic spice blend, which means it would be good for all doshas, which means all constitutions. Right. Um, and it was, it's just overall just like really good spice blend where I toasted some spices and ground them and put them together with seaweed and salt and pepper and and other stuff too, fennel, coriander, whatever. It was so good. And I made a big shaker of it and I've been putting it like on everything. So that's been like really nice too, uh, to be inspired again, to make uh, some of my homemade spice mixes. This one was her recipe and I really like it. It's, um, similar, but a little different than the ones I had been making. Um, and it was really, really good. Uh, we also processed some of our roosters. And as you may have known, we hatched chickens this year, we hatched um, 20 birds, I think. We had one have an accident, so we had 19 left. We isolated eight roosters and processed them successfully, smoothly, just Chad and I. Um, and we are left with 11 hens. And so far, they still appear to all be hens. No uh, late bloomer roosters cockadoodle doing from the coop. So fingers crossed that's for real because 11 out of 20 is, is excellent. That's more than 50%. If you can do that math, I'm good with it. So I started making broth with the roosters and, um, uh, giving the meat to the dog for dog food. And it's, it's been really, really good. Um, super happy to have that meat in the freezer as well as our, along with the chickens that we processed last month that I already talked about. So yeah, um, there's been some uh, salve making. I made a um, diaper rash slash eczema salve. So anything that was like really good, like dry skin or rashes, this would be good for. It had marshmallow root, uh, calendula, and plantain leaf. Uh, the recipe that I had in a book was calling for me to use olive oil and coconut oil, but instead of the coconut oil, I used tallow. And I infused it um, in a double broiler at about 100 degrees for like three days, uh, turning it on and off to try to ma roughly maintain that temperature. And then, because the tallow is solid at room temperature, so I couldn't just stick it all in there together. I had to warm it. So then I had, I did have some sweet almond oil I added to it, as well as olive oil. And then a little bit of beeswax and shea butter at the end and um, put them in some tins. And it's like super good stuff. Oh my gosh like way soothing to like hot, dry skin. It's going to be great for eczema or diaper rash, which hopefully we won't be dealing with anymore because we're potty training. So we've had a toddler with no pants on running around constantly needing to be put on the toilet. It's been great. He's very proud of himself. Lots of clapping over poops around here, which is always fun. So that was this in no particular order. You know, what else? We also harvested our peas. We ate a bunch as we went, but when they got big, we harvested them shelled them, blanched them, and then froze them on a tray. So now I can just grab a handful of peas out of the freezer whenever I need some for recipe through the winter. It's about a gallon size bag of peas. It's not a ton, especially for the effort that goes into doing that. It's like three, four quarts, but I'm, I'm good with it because they're really delicious, better than the frozen peas you can get from the store. And we grew them. And then, you know, I don't ever use very, I don't use the 
serve them as a side dish. It's just like a handful goes into my stew and stuff like that. So that'll be really good. Um, we are all getting our first blackberries already, which is really weird because it seems really um, early for that. And it's not, it seems like it's closer to the end of August when we use, first see our blackberries. These are big, fat, juicy ones that are definitely soft, but they're not as sweet as they normally are. Like they just ripen too fast or something. Like the sugars didn't develop as fully um, but there's still a lot of green ones on the vine, so I'm sure they're going to uh, continue to come ripe over the next month. Um, and right now we're just eating them. But if they start to be uh, more sweet, I'll, I'll pick enough to do some jam or something else. Um, yeah. Uh, for for the fermented beverage workshop, I did some really fun drinks. We did tapache. And then I did a pineapple and mango kvass. And then I'm working on a new recipe that um, hopefully will answer questions that I get a lot. People want to know uh, if you can use pasteurized juice to make a probiotic fermented drink. And I said, well, you can do whatever you want, <laughs> but I've never done it. And I think the danger is pasteurization kills all the bacteria and you need bacteria. But if you have a pasteurized drink and you add bacteria from like a ginger bug starter or from water kefir or from kombucha, then you should be able to re-inoculate that juice and then let it ferment. It just might take, lo take longer. And that's just what I've thought. So I decided to do it myself. So I got like some crappy, regular, not organic orange juice. I just made sure it didn't have citric acid or anything else. It's just orange juice but it was pasteurized and I put it in a jar and then I inoculated it with some kombucha and I've stirred it and it's like three or it's four days in and it's bubbly and stuff. And so I bottled it and we'll see what happens. It's kind of like my recipe for orangina is what I'm thinking. And then if it's good, adding some cream or some coconut cream and um, some vanilla and having a creamsicle, that's a probiotic creamsicle drink. Maybe you're thinking of making popsicles out of those. I don't know. The opportunities are endless with fermented beverages. So those are excited. It's, it's this time of year when I have a hundred jars on the counter everywhere doing all these different things. And it's just such a joyful time, exciting, growing things inside and out the outside of the house. It's excellent. So everybody, thank you so much for listening. I'm sure there's things I forgot, um, highlights that I forgot, but that's the main chunk of what we're doing here. So thank you guys for your support. I appreciate it. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening. I'm Lanny, and this was the Greener Postures Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Greener Postures, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Preserving Today, by going to youtube.com slash at Greener Postures. Questions, feedback, or would you like to be a guest on the show? Send me a DM, or you can email me at greenerpostures at pm.me. I'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in attending one of my online workshops and joining the exclusive Greener Postures Telegram group chat, go to my website, greenerpostures.com slash workshops. I hope to see you there.